we're up to, you're up to Lord's Day 45 in the Catechism, so I encourage you to turn to that. That's found on page 559 in the following page, at the back of the hymnal, dealing with prayer, the final section of the Catechism. We begin with question 116. It says, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. Question 117. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word. Question 118. What has God commanded us to ask of him? All the things we need for body and soul as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us. And then question 119, what is the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So ends the reading of our confession. So after the ministry of the word, we'll sing from Psalm 102 and stanzas 1, 3, and 9. 102 stanzas 1, 3, and 9. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, are you a praying people? Do you make it a point to pray as you ought? Lord's Day 45 begins with that question, this next section. Why do Christians need to pray? And it introduces the last part of these Lord's Days dealing with prayer. That question could even be asked, why can a Christian never stop praying? Praying is, of course, difficult. It's hard to be consistent. It requires discipline. A day goes by without prayer and we're discouraged. A week goes by and we're drowning. A month and we're in deep spiritual trouble. You cannot maintain a walk with the Lord unless you are in prayer. You cannot be in fellowship with the Lord unless you speak to your Father in heaven. In fact, we can go so far as to say that you cannot be saved or call yourself a Christian unless you do pray. Now, all believers that are mentioned in the Bible were people who prayed. Noah prayed. He walked with God. Same with Abraham. Moses, David, all the Psalms are prayers. 
We, need, we also read about the prophets, too, and how they, they prayed. In this passage this afternoon that we've read, talks about a prophet who never stopped praying, no matter how hard it was for him. Daniel was a man of prayer in a very trying time. Through it, we're taught about the importance of prayer. So I call you to hear God's word this afternoon under the theme, Praying as God's Dear Child. And we'll look at this with three points. First of all, the need of prayer. Secondly, the attitude in prayer. And thirdly, the content of prayer. So the need, the attitude, and the content. So first of all, the need. Well, the story of Daniel is well known. Boys and girls who are here with us today and those who are live streaming, they know this story. If they've grown up with it, if you've grown up, grown up with it, he had a, Daniel had a, at this point, was a, was a very old man. He had served kings within uh, many kingdoms at this point. Darius the Mede was the next in line. And there are a couple of themes that are worked out in this chapter. One is the insecurity of the monarchy. The reason that three governors had been appointed was due to, to uh, concern over deceit and graft. There was a lot of corruption. This comes clear from verse 2 of what we read, that these governors were set over the kingdom so that the king would not suffer loss. We have to remember that at this time, the world kingdom was divided into many districts. You had 120 satraps or princes placed over the entire territory of the Medes. Daniel and two others were appointed as administrators over all these satraps. Daniel, by this time, was a very successful ruler. He had a long experience and a wide acquaintance with the Babylonian government. He was exceptionally qualified. He was also different from the other governors, as verse 3 said, because there was an excellent spirit in him. Darius could more easily trust Daniel in his judgment than he could trust his own. In in the midst of the corruption and insecurity, Daniel stood out as a man who was governed by loyalty and integrity. And that was because the God of heaven was with him. We also see here a real contrast between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Remember the, uh, the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had. He saw this image made of iron and brass and clay, but it was smashed to pieces by a huge stone. It was a picture of two kingdoms in conflict. God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom, but the kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then also Rome would only last for a time and then pass away. But Daniel Daniel belonged to this great kingdom that would never end. We cannot miss the fact that he was already, at this point, 70, maybe even 80 years old. 
His strength and integrity stand in contrast to Darius, a man who was roughly around the same generation, but was likely around in his early 60s. For all his worldly wisdom, he was insecure in his exercise of authority. Now today we live in the same kind of conflict. There have always been powers which persecute and and try to wear down the saints. Certainly the powers of darkness are at work in our day. But what are we to do as those who are tested? We're to continue faithfully serving our, our Lord and to remember that we belong to an eternal kingdom that will never end. It's good for us as Christians to be interested in politics, to be involved in politics. It's good that there are Christian politicians. But there is a a greater war that's taking place. And that is the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness will only last for a time, but not for eternity. Only God's kingdom is eternal. Well, that brings us to the testing that Daniel faced. Because he was so recognized for his wisdom in the government and excelled over all the other administrators, how did they feel about it? Well, they weren't too happy. They were jealous. The only way to get at Daniel was to place him in a position where he had to choose between obedience to his God or obedience to the government. So these jealous men conspired together and they came up with a plan. Daniel had never bowed down to an idol or, and he had uh, rather prayed three times a day to God. Long ago, he had worshipped in the city called Jerusalem and they, had, they, had, they saw the potential. They saw clearly that although Daniel was prepared to do anything for the king, he would not do something that was in conflict with his faith in the Lord. With that in mind, they came to King Darius with their wicked plot. They wanted a law that enforced everyone to pray and worship the king. If for 30 days anyone prayed to another god except for the king, they had to be thrown into the lion's den. Like any eastern monarch, this would have been very flattering. And so Darius liked it. He liked this law. He was in favor of it. A decree was made, and because it was a decree of one of of the uh, laws of the Medes and the Persians, you couldn't revoke it. Well, that put Daniel into a catch-22 situation. The temptation to stop prayers would have been very great. This was only the first year of King Darius' reign. It would be very easy to go with the law. After all, it was only... 30 days. From a purely human point of view, such a sacrifice over a short period of time would have been small in comparison to losing his life. But he would never stop praying. How could he stop praying? You know, the prophets had had said that after 70 years, Jerusalem would rise. Besides, the Lord had made clear to his servants that he was the only true God. The only one who was worthy of all praise. This was not a time to stop praying. 
This was a time to keep on praying. And so he equipped, so equipped with the armor of God and with the wisdom and, and courage that he was given, he stood firm in that evil day. Though the wiles of the devil and the kingdom of darkness breathed down hard upon him, he knew that he had to keep on speaking to the Lord. Verse 10 says, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, went into his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down three times a day. Oh, his window was open to Jerusalem. Why? It's because this is what the Jews did after the dedication of the temple when Solomon built it. God's glory filled that temple. And even though that glory had departed at this point from the temple because of the fall of Jerusalem, Daniel, Daniel knew that the Lord had promised that there would be a return. And and, and, and the uh, worship would re be restored there once again. His open window facing Jerusalem was a, a simple and easy way of remembering the need for prayer. And so this teaches us again the, the, the need that we have of praying. It's never an easy thing to continue in prayer. It requires effort. It requires a, a constant reminding ourselves. It requires a heart that's filled with a, a deep longing after God. Daniel looked at Jerusalem with a deep longing, which reminded him of God's promises. And it's those promises that got him up in the morning and gave him that assurance that the Lord had a purpose for him in his life. We also need to pray regularly. And in private. You know, Jesus talked about the, the, um, the sin of, of praying like a hypocrite. You can pray to be heard. You can pray to be seen by others. You can look like someone who is a person of prayer like the Pharisees. But how much time do we spend in private prayer? How do you know whether or not you're a hypocrite? Well, one way to tell is when you compare the amount of time that you spend in private prayer to the amount of time that you spend in public prayer. Some Christians can pray 10 minutes Sunday morning or 10 minutes at a Bible study, but they'll only pray 10 seconds by themselves. Now, God doesn't time our prayers. It's not the length of our prayers that impress him. But certainly there's something wrong if we only pray when, when someone else is watching. The person who prays more in public than in private reveals that he's less interested in God's approval than in human praise. That's why we asked at the very beginning, do you pray? That's a question that no one else can answer but yourself. If you attend church or not, your minister knows that. Whether you have family prayers or not, your family knows that. But whether you pray in private or not, that's a matter between you and the Lord. 
A pastor in Scotland used to say that prayer at a Bible study or in church should be the tip of the iceberg. Only 10% of an iceberg floats above the ocean. Well, the other 90% is submerged. And in the same way, the public prayers of the church ought to be supported by a large mass of private prayer throughout the week. Now, sad to say, the average prayer life of a Christian is more like the Titanic than it is an iceberg. We can be proud individuals on the surface, but underneath our respectability, the bulkheads are, are filling up with water and the pumps are failing and we're in great danger of sinking because of a neglect of personal prayer. The congregation, your prayers, they're, they're a means of grace. They're the vehicle through which God supplies your needs and he does it abundantly. He, he does that exceedingly abundantly above what we could ever ask or think. You know, just think of it. The Lord loves our prayers. They're like a sweet incense to him that come into the throne room through Christ. But he wants you to ask. Are you looking for God's provision? God says, ask, and you will receive. Are you struggling with sin and the need to overcome it? The Lord says, come. Do you long for forgiveness? Do you need help in persevering in the faith? Ask, and you will receive. Do you lack wisdom? Seek, seek it, and you'll find it. If it's needed, no request is too small or significant. The point is, God wants us to ask. Because he's able to help us. And whenever you need, if you're a child of God, putting your faith in Christ, your father is probably working things out at this very moment. Now the catechism says, reminds us today that prayer is the chief part of our thankfulness. That means that there's a sense in which prayer stands above the law, the keeping of the law, as a testimony to our thankfulness. Obeying the law is not the only thankfulness which God demands of us. Prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness because in prayer, our relationship with God has a very direct expression, a very personal expression. So why should you pray? Well, it's because God commanded it. And because he delights in our prayers. That brings us to the second point, which is the attitude in prayer. And we see that also in, in Daniel's life, which was characterized by discipline and by regularity. It had been his lifelong custom to pray three times a day. It was well known that he served the Lord continually, as verse 16 of this chapter points out. We could be amazed sometimes if we think of, if we could use an illustration, uh, by the freedom and the sponta spontaneity of a, of a musician who's able to play an instrument just like that. Or same with an athlete, someone who can move so easily and, and freely. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because... 
They've used discipline. And they've been working at it. That's exactly the same in the spiritual world. It's a real mistake to pray only when you feel like it. We're called to make prayer a regular part of our lives. Otherwise, we're not healthy spiritually. The healthy prayer life follows Daniel's pattern of regular times and seasons of prayer. And it's, a, and, and it's this kind of patient commitment that bears much fruit. He had the right attitude in prayer. He was sincere. We see him here kneeling before the Lord. The character of prayer has to be humble. It has to be sincere. It has to be heartfelt. And it must demonstrate repentance toward God. It's not, it's not enough to merely rely on external performances and temple rituals. Coldness and formality is the death of prayer. As one Dutch writer put it, he said, we can stage play in the sanctuary and play act in the church. But God looks at the heart. Prayer must be from the heart. A heart that is in tune with the Lord and wants to obey Him and live for His glory. Now our catechism lists three essential parts of that. First thing it says is that the Lord doesn't approve of us coming to him with a divided heart. We do that more than we realize. We do that, we do that when we forget to rely on the one true God. We have to realize who God is, what he is, and what our relationship is to him. We have, we have to remember that the great, the almighty God is our father. We must remember that. He cares for us. He counts the very hairs of our heads. The second thing it points out to us is that we have to know ourselves and our own needs. We're sinful beings in need of his grace. We have to know that so thoroughly that we have the proper attitude and know how great our dependence is upon the Lord. If we come across as being self-sufficient or, or proud, he will turn his back on us. Isaiah 66 says, But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and has a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And thirdly, it says that our prayers should be grounded on the work of Jesus Christ. God has to be your father through him. When we plead on the basis of him, God will certainly hear our prayers for the sake of of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word. That means that we have to have that confidence and that simple childlike trust. We need to have that assurance that God is truly our father. We have to see him as our father who has purchased us through Jesus Christ and is waiting to bless us with his own fullness in him. And so, congregation, as you come to the Lord, is that the kind of attitude that you have? Have you humbled yourself before God? Do you seek his face? Are you turning from wicked ways? Are you repentant? Well, sometimes it's possible for the people of God to pray with the wrong motives. Sometimes the prayers of God's people are overlooked because there is no heart in them. There's, there's no heart of repentance. Repentance. 
James asks, or says rather, James in the Bible, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. You ask and receive not rather because you ask amiss that you may spend on your own pleasures. We need to pray in the way that our catechism calls us to pray and in the way that Scripture challenges us to pray with a heartfelt devotion to God. That leads us to what we see here thirdly, and that is the content of prayer. Looking at this passage again, we see Daniel's prayer included both thanksgiving and intercession. He gave thanks before his God, verse 10 says. And verse 11 says that the men who hatched their wicked plan against him found Daniel praying and making supplication or intercession before his God. He made continual, fervent intercession. And it's important that we see that because the whole situation was very critical. He he cried for help. He sought the Lord in his time of need. But notice that he also included in his prayers a, a word of thanks. Thus his prayers were always prefaced by by worship, with adoration and appreciation for the Lord. That's true scriptural prayer. Remember how Philippians 4 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With what? With thanksgiving. Bring your requests to the Lord. Our prayers need to come with adoration with thanksgiving, as well as confession. It can't just be a wish list. It's it's a time of adoration. It's a time of worship. Now, we're not told exactly what Daniel prayed in these prayers. There are other verses that supply that for us. But when we turn to Daniel 9, We're given an an idea as to what his prayer life was like. If you want to learn how to pray and to get better at it, read Daniel 9. It's a great example of prayer. Daniel prayed with an adoration knowing that God is the God of all wisdom, knowledge, and power. He's a holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Revelation 5 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. That, again, is how our prayers are to be. We live in a day when there's there's little awe for God anymore. But even, even, even among Christians, that's the case. But we can't be like that. God, is, a God, God is, is our God, and we offer him all praise and worship for who he is. Daniel's prayers also contained confession. And we see that in Daniel chapter 9. Much of it focuses on his confession for the sins of Israel. They had fallen. And he's very specific to mention what that sin was. Now, again, it's something we need to learn as well. Not just to pray in a generic sense for God to forgive us of our sins, but 
What have we done wrong against the Lord? What do we need repenting from or of? It's not just a blanket, forgive me of my sins, but it's an acknowledgement, acknowledging what we did that was wrong. And his prayers also included thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for his mercies. Thanksgiving for his daily bread. We, are, we also are to offer God thanksgiving for all that he's given to us. For his mercies to us and to our families. Especially to thank him for the giving of his son for our sins. What are some of the things that we need to come to the Lord for? What, what do we need to supplicate God for? He knew that he, Daniel knew that he completely was dependent on God. He needed the Father's goodness, especially at such a trying time like this. And that's true for us as well. We know how the Lord answered the prayers of Daniel. He was arrested, thrown into the, the lion's den and saved. The king had made a foolish law. It had put his most trusted ruler into the den of lions. But God was merciful to hear. He was gracious to Daniel to show the world again that he is the true God. That he is the God who hears prayer. We also need to pray as the Lord commanded. Prayer is necessary. We should pray in our homes. We should pray as Christian roommates. Parents should pray with their children at mealtimes, at bedtime, and throughout the day. Christians should pray together in small groups and Bible studies and in fellowship groups. For it's not just Daniel who prayed. It's the early disciples Christians met in catacombs when they were under persecution. In the Middle Ages, prayers also arose to God. And during the Reformation, pastors came together in prayer. In short, Christians have always met for prayer and have always made a point of seeking the Lord, making it a regular part of their lives. Now, is that true of you too? Praying in secret with the Lord. Coming into your closets, as it were. To be prayerless is to be without Christ, without, without grace, without hope, and without heaven. So prayer is therefore an important part of our thankfulness. To live without it is to perish. So let us turn again to the Lord in heartfelt and sincere prayer. Amen.